You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Chris Bennett, and I help connect businesses with tech freelancers, and I'm your host. Uh, welcome, everyone who's listening to the podcast today. Uh, this is my first podcast of the year, so apologies for everyone who's listening if I'm a bit rusty today, but thankfully I've got four experts here to help me along with that. Uh, today we're speaking about um, can threat hunting and threat intelligence be introduced to the private sector more often? And I've got an incredible panel here who are passionate about this very subject, who are going to be speaking and discussing this very matter. Um, let's get some introductions done. Um, so we'll come to you first, Jonas. Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah. Hi, my name is Jonas Ille, and I'm the head of information security at uh, Detectify. And uh, we are a crowdsource fueled SaaS security company where we focus on uh, automated external attack uh, surface monitoring. So we're basically helping our customers identify uh, and scan their public facing assets for vulnerabilities and misconfigurations. And uh, my role there is to uh, sort of drive the, the work we have with our information security management system. So threat intelligence is sure one important uh, piece of that puzzle. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, let's go to Martin next. Yeah, hi, my name is Martin. Uh, I'm working for a company called Zimpler and we are a, a fintech, uh, not longer a startup, more of a scale up in the account to account business. Um, uh, I don't have a title because we are like startup like that, <laughs> um, but I'm doing security. Like I'm, I'm all in security, all meta security around in that company. And my day to day is everything from making sure we are compliant to making sure we are actually safe um, and making sure that our people are safe. Perfect, perfect. A lot of responsibility for everyone here. Uh, David, let's come to you. Hi, my name is David Lilia. I work for a company called Trusic. Uh, Trusic is a company that detects cyber attacks and minimizes the impact when they occur. Um, my role is a SOC level three analyst. So on a daily basis, I go quite deep into certain attacks that happen to our customers um, and try to figure out where they come from and what they do and how to stop them as briefly as possible. Love that. Um, and finally, Christopher. Hey, podcast listeners. I'm Christopher. Uh, I work together with David at TrueSec. My role at uh, TrueSec is... Uh, the purveyor of fine knowledge. I try to uh, to collect all the knowledge that we have, um, all that we generate through incident response and through our soccer operations. And all that knowledge and insights, I try to understand. I try to learn what the attackers do, uh, how they do it, why they do it. And then we put that into reports and we feed the incidents uh, incident data into our SOC to make that more competent and discover more attacks and the SOC conveys information back to the incident response team. Like here's stuff that we should do and I'm kind of the somewhat the middleman in that and that is what I do at TrueSec. Love it, love it. Right, let, let's crack on. Yeah, so we've got got a few discussion points today and um, so we're going to start off with Jonas 
Um, so you sent in the question that you want to discuss. So what I'd like you to do, Jonas, is talk about your question, why you asked it, and maybe give some brief insights to kind of what you think as well. And then we'll go to the rest of the panel, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, well, when I think about threat intelligence and discuss it with colleagues and, and other people uh, across various industries, I sort of feel like there's a need to sort of demystify it because there are a lot of people who don't really understand what threat intelligence is and nor even understand like how can you work with it in various levels within the company. Uh, my current understanding is that it's more common within quite security heavy industries and companies and also more on a very technical level. And um, I think there's a lack of understanding that you can actually use it more on a strategic level as well. Uh, where you can map out the sort of larger threat environments and how threat environments like on a global scale, how that will affect your, your company and your value chain and, and so on supply chain. So uh, yeah, sort of want to discuss on how, how can we demystify it and, and spread the word so that we see threat intelligence on, on all levels within, uh, within companies and organizations. Have you, have you got any initial thoughts or, or shall we should we get everyone else involved first to be honest um no i think uh, my initial thoughts are that it's common within security companies and probably within sort of intelligence agencies in the more uh, defensive industry but uh, and also kind of hacker fueled and i think that's the reason why why people look at it more from a technical perspective because you're easy easy to go down to malicious IPs and that sort of stuff, but uh, no one's really taken the step back and see how we could discuss it on the strategic level. Um, so yeah, I think that's my, my first thoughts on it. David, bring you in on this. Kind of what's your thoughts around Jens' statement there? Yeah, I, I obvious, obviously agree um, that we need to demystify it. We, we need more companies to understand that this is actually valuable data that can be used in more than just threat hunting and finding a malicious actor. Of course, you should be using threat intelligence if you're about to purchase a company, if you're about to sign a contract with a new dealer and so on, then you can actually use threat intelligence to see who are who they really are. Who are they working with? What systems are they using? Have they surfaced in the, in, uh, in the news lately? And so on, on that side. Um, so you can absolutely use threat intelligence more broadly um, than just in the techie corner where we say it all. Christopher? Uh, yeah, I again, I agree. It, it needs to be demystified. Um, but I believe that, I, I think that we should uh, look at the power of analogies. Um, because the, if we use analogies appropriately, I think we can actually convey the same thing that we say by saying threat intelligence. And let me uh, let me do an example of what I mean. I mean, if if we look at burglaries and home intrusions, the police will work methodolic methodolic methodolic. This is a hard word. I'm not going to say it. Uh, I, I regret that I even tried. Methodically, is it? Methodically. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate no, your, your I am your the support. English person on here. If I can't add value there, what am I doing? <laughs> this is what I get for trying to use a complicated word. Uh, okay, so they will use, uh, they will methodically go through the intrusion. They will say it's more likely that you have an intrusion through your back porch 
because that's where you usually are quite weak. So that is knowledge about how intrusions occur and that we can use. The same thing happens in the cyber realm. We look at what the attackers do and we provide you with that knowledge. We tell you it's more likely at this point in time that they will use a vulnerability in a public facing application rather than using a spear phishing attack, for example. So you should appropriately focus on mitigating vulnerabilities in your public, publicly exposed services. So I believe that we can demystify by trying to find other ways of talking about it by, for example, using analogies. Because analogies, if we find those universally understandable analogies that are also applicable to threat intelligence, I think that can be a way of abstracting away the techie talk and instead talk about stuff that people understand. Um, you can talk about a house as a, as a computer system. You have doors, you have handles, you have key locks, and all of those can be kind of uh, analogies are never 100%. But it can be kind of used as a good reference and people can quite quickly understand what you're talking about when you, when you say that you need to ensure that the hinges of the door are not weak because then the keys don't matter. Mm. That sort mm. of thing. Mm. Martin? Yeah, I'm very, very happy about Jonas' topic uh, and about what Christopher just said because it very much fits together what I'm like thinking about on a daily basis. Um, for me, security is not just cyber. For me, security is uh, very much in the physical realm, um, very much boots on the ground in foreign countries that we don't know about, much about. Um, it's about opening an office in a third world country. Uh, it's about uh, completely untrained people um, working with uh, matters that are like important to the company and are new to the company as well because we are scaling and, and growing so fast. So if you're talking about a strategic threat landscape, then uh, threat intelligence makes my life way easier. Uh, and just like taking the words apart and just make like putting them out there and say, okay, it's about like knowing what threats exist. So there is nothing mystic about that. It's just knowing what exists um, and just collecting all of that data and making security more data driven. I think that's 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 the important part of it. And that's my two cents on that. David, do you want to come in? Yeah, um, it, it's again, good points, but I, I was also thinking about threat intelligence. Um, if you have, as a business leader or in a strategic group in the company, you can actually use threat intelligence to know and understand where you should put your budget when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, so what you can do with a, with threat intelligence is that you can look at your industry where you're working and you can understand what the threat is to you and your competitors and you can learn about attacks against your competitors so you know where you should put your budget to protecting yourself where you will get most bang for the buck if we speak american um so that's also a where you can use threat intelligence um it's it's a good way for the business leaders to actually not just understand the word but actually put it to good use to focus on it where, where where is it common um, that 
current businesses are just stopping this conversation. Is Freight Intelligence not leaving most um, security teams within companies? Or is it where, where is it stopping at the moment? My understanding is that it stops within the information security teams, really. Or would it say that it's not a like that the security teams themselves stop it? But I think, given the scope and the, the task that a security team has today, it can be difficult to even perform proper risk assessments uh, or proper like technical threat hunting. So there's neither really not the time or or possibility to extend the scope and really go those extra miles. Because I mean, from my point of view, if you look at threat intelligence, it's it's easily said that it, you know you could see it as an advanced risk analysis, basically, where you take some further steps to sort of in the end see what external factors will affect our assets in the large sense. But taking those extra steps from just having an asset, a risk, a probability, and an impact, uh, you actually need to go way, way further and also see, okay, what external factors uh, will affect this and how, how can we deal with those? But I don't really think that there's time or perhaps interest within the other parts of the organizations to really listen in and give the mandate and scope needed to, to do that. Um, Martin? Yeah, we're again at the mysticism. Um, and I think that is a that is a big issue. If we are very uh, honest with each other, um, then we love our tech talk. Uh, we love to like keep all the things that we say, like talking about like uh, confidentiality and integrity and availability and then throwing that around like everywhere and like having our our nice like words that we use every day, um, and for us that's a language. But most people don't understand that. Like if I if I talk in those words to sales, they would just look at me and counter with like KPIs and stuff. Um, and if I if I talk in those words and in that language to my CEO, then he says, "Yeah, that's really nice. Please please make sure you cover it." And then I try to do, but it will not shift any budget. Um, I try to really reach out to different departments um, and try to talk their language. That takes time off my plate. Um, but I think it's our responsibility as professionals in the security to make sure that we that we are understood. It's not that we are just like, yeah, this is our threat intelligence, take it or leave it. It's that we have to make sure that it is understood which threats are out there and why do they really matter to us? Christopher? Yeah, I, I think also it's a, it's a question of maturity. Uh, threat intelligence has as a field of study, it, it's quite young. I mean, the area of intelligence is obviously not young, but cyber threat intelligence is still rather young. And I believe that it, it was kind of born out of technicalities of uh, indicators of compromise. And it's, it's coming from a very technical background. And now as we mature, we learn how to communicate. We learn how to talk. We're a toddler at the moment, but maybe in a few years, we're actually a teenager and we can start communicating our feelings with sudden outbursts of you know anxiety and stuff. But as we grow up, I do believe that we'll eventually reach some sort of maturity and that with that comes a different language of expressing what it means and how it's used. So in order to get it into the different levels of the organization, the language needs to mature. And I'm, I'm sure that we will get there just by having this conversation means that we're maturing. We're able to talk about our feelings.
and that's a good thing. Martin, um, obviously you mentioned there you've started speaking to other divisions or teams in their language. Um, which do you think is the easiest place to um, penetrate first? You know, which which divisions seem uh, interested in this? Kind of uh, is the there might be a need for there already? Just just in your experience, mine. Of course, if you first think about it, you think about yeah, it's like the CTO. That's that's a person I should talk to because we speak the same language, almost the same language. But I found that putting myself into a bubble, um, just talking right back and forth between two people who are already talking the same language, and for me, the big like change maker was when our head of strategy reached out to me and said, "Hey, let's sit down, have a coffee, and let's talk about what you are doing because I don't understand it." And then we had a conversation for about two hours, and I'm very, very happy that we keep that up. Like every month or something, at least, we sit down and we have a coffee and we talk, try to talk the same language in a very like comfortable way. And it, it's like talking strategy with with somebody who is like far out, like he's, he's thinking about like 2023 and 2024 and where are we in 10 years and thinking about like where do we open the fifth office we now have to um so this is like a completely different part of the organization because i'm thinking about what's happening today what what can happen today mm. uh, and we finding the same language that was a really really big enabler for me at least why did he reach out? Was he because he heard you were reaching out to other people? Was it his just personal interest? How did you like get that conversation, shall we say? No, I think it's it's a mixture of personal interest and of like understanding how a company works. Um, and like strategy and risk management is not that far apart. If you, mm. if you take it, it's just like two people speaking different languages and they should really talk with each other. Okay, cool. Um, let's go to um, the next point. Um, and this is actually coming back to Martin, actually. Um, and um, just tell us a bit about your question that you, you sent in um, and tell us your thoughts around it. And then, as per usual, we'll go to the panel and discuss it in more detail. Sure. It it, it looks or it feels like an interview right now, but I, I can take it. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it hits the same uh tree that we were already dancing around all the time it's uh it's actually about like market research more um we are growing uh, i said that multiple times now and for us a big big topic is new markets markets that we don't know um sectors that we don't know industry branches that we don't know um and what we what I try to to introduce into the conversation when entering a new market is threat intelligence or let's say threat landscape as part of the cost of doing business um, and evaluating threats and using threat intelligence before making the decision to move into a market. And I guess my question around that is what's your what's your take on that? You're more of I mean everybody coming from a like very different background company-wise, but um, what's your take on using threat intelligence, making a report out of that and moving it into the discussion about what's the cost of doing business? Yeah, let's go to, um, I don't know, has anyone, has anyone gone through this before? 
Um, I'm looking at some some blank faces. There we go, Christopher. Save the day. Yeah, great name. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Excellent name, I'd say. Fantastic name. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I it's not entirely the same thing, but kind of. Um, we were recently asked by a client who was going to uh, set up data centers in India, and they asked us, "Is this a good idea?" That was the the, the question asked, and. We provided an analysis of this. We tried to evaluate what has happened in India, what kind of attacks are occurring, what what have we seen, and what kind of relationships do they have to neighboring countries, what kind of grievances exists. And our conclusion was, well, you probably shouldn't do it. Uh, it's, it's a bad idea. And um, so they didn't. Uh, and I think that is the, as, as Martin, kind of suggest it's kind of this, the, the threat landscape of a particular country. So that could be one way of exploring TI. This was very much a strategic outlook. We didn't look at specific indicators, but it was rather more of a strategic outlook. What's the the, the future of their um, uh, their cyber, uh, cyber capabilities as a country? Uh, how are they matured when it comes to digital uh, transformation and that kind of stuff? So it, it, it was a bit more broad than just cybersecurity. Um, but in essence, there were a number of attacks and stuff that we believe were reason enough to be cautious about establishing this kind of presence. That's just, David? Uh, yeah, um, speaking about threat intelligence and how it can be used and so on, we've done a lot, a lot is maybe pushing it, but we've done different reports based on questions from customers um not to go into too much of detail because it's quite sensitive but a customer approached us or a company approached us and saying one of our employees is uh, being targeted and have death threats what can we do um so we had to scour the internet and read some forums and follow certain people and uh, map out the whole thing um another company contacted us and said we believe that our software has been stolen can you help us? And we had to go out on the dark, deep internet again and uh, see if we can find binaries and see if, if we could find uh, certain groups um, that, that was selling source code and all that. So threat intelligence is such a broad word that can be used in so many different ways. Um, and we haven't even touched upon what I'm working with when it comes to threat intelligence, because I'm since I'm actually working with threat hunting, and I use threat intelligence to do my threat hunting work. Uh, but that's, it looks like it might be the part two of this podcast. Who knows? We've only got an hour, David. Um, Martin, you had your hand up first. Yeah, um, I was just uh, wanted to know from like David and Christopher if you, have, if you have ever like done threat intelligence outside of the cyber realm. I mean, thinking about moving into a country where there might be a civil war going on or like stuff like that is is on on my desk <laughs> so i'm i'm very interested if threat intelligence for you is just cyber or is it is it like all threats to a company um i'll i'll just answer that and say truesec is pretty much purely a cyber related company while we do have competencies that extend beyond cyber, uh, most of them are still kind of focused on perhaps understanding threat actor and their cyber cyber capabilities as 
yeah. So so no, uh, we we don't do that because we also feel it's it's quite a broad field and you already have quite a lot of well established companies doing that sort of profiling. Uh, not from the cyber perspective though. Yes. I mean, on that topic, I'm using threat intelligence for for more than just pure cyber. I, I think it's a it's a good tool to use for any type of market researcher. So, I mean, if you go to a marketing agency, they will definitely look at other types of threats like competitors and, and financial stuff. And so, when you expand to new market, so if you if you go on a high enough level from like a strategic point of view, when when you would like to expand to a new market, I think you would be able to use the same sort of framework or whatever, regardless if you look at the cyber aspects or the sort of financial or, or competitive aspects. Um, that said, I, I really think including cyber aspects and perhaps physical security, if you don't want to include that in the cyber realm, but uh, I think you sort of should combine it all when you do the market evaluation and try to decide whether to move in or not. Um, because you de there's definitely links in the between that should be uh, that needs to be evaluated before you can give a, a go or no go, really. Christopher, I, I was thinking about your earlier point um, about when that customer approached you and ab about the uh, Indian data centers. And you said no, um, and um, they kind of went with that. On the kind of the second part of Martin's question, he was asking about kind of where does TI fit into the decision making process and kind of what role does it play? How important was it? Was it your know that was the be all and end all? Yeah. What kind of percentage of their decision was made on your recommendation? Just talk us through that. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. We we were asked to provide an analysis and we did um, mm -hmm. it they ended up not moving forward. Uh, that might have had something to do with what we managed to present to them. Uh, it might have been a number of other factors that we don't know about. Um, and also, the, the, I just want to, I don't know if this is a bit of a deviation now from the topic, mm. uh, but I just wanted to kind of ex explain and clarify why we believe it's, uh, it's difficult to be a, a know-it-all firm. It's just like in finance, you have one, we specialize in this one thing, maybe even if they're peripheral areas that might tangent the, the actual core business, when you start doing it all, it's hard to be this specialized firm. We know this, we know cyber, that is what we know. If you come to us, you get good answers from that. We don't do physical security because we don't know that. That's not what we do. Um, Maybe this is a bad explanation, but I just wanted to try and clarify why we don't, why we have chosen not to do it all. Maybe this will change in the next coming years, and this will be a mute point. Mm. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> this is 2022 for anyone that's listening. Um, Jonas, you got your hand up there. Uh, sorry, I think you just forgot to re remove it. Ah. <laughs> oh. Right. No, don't worry about it. I mean, how? Just, just. I, I'm, I'm conscious of making sure we um, go through Martin's question. Yeah. How, how does everyone feel about how, how important do people believe that TI threat is, is considered when going into new markets? Because we obviously are working uh, in Sweden at the moment. Yeah. A lot of massively expanding tech companies. Do you think it's a small consideration because they want to move there, they can't think about it too much, and they're just kind of looking for you to go, just say yes, please? Or do we think it's 
uh, people are actually considering it the way they should be considering it. Yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are. Eunice, you definitely put your hand up then. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's depending on how mature the organization is when it comes to cyber. Uh, I think that's the main uh, thing to take into consideration. Uh, unfortunately, from I think from my own experience, um, it's cyber is taken in quite late in the process because there's a lot of other teams and departments who had their say about going into a new market and then sort of like a final check uh, somewhere also legal perhaps uh, someone has like we should perhaps check the cyber as well uh, and I think that's a that's a really really big issue that we need to sort of uh, sort of solve uh, and I think communication there is key to make sure that we get cyber in on the sort of uh, agenda for the management team or whichever team that drives the, the expansion but yeah it needs to be raised and needs to be communicated from the security teams martin yeah just Jonas just nailed it um i think currently it is often completely overlooked or like regarded or taken in way too late um we Currently, we use it after we decided to move into market to make sure that we have everything in place to counter um, the threats that we find. I think that is introducing risks that is not necessary from my perspective. So I, I would rather see it in like the very first strategic discussion about are we are we willing to take on the risks and move into the country or do we give it a pass and and go somewhere else. Um, so I'm I'm completely with you on us here and say that there has to be some work that we need to do to in, to like increase. Maybe we have to increase our own value that we give out. Maybe that's not enough right now. Do, do, do you think people are just scared of finding out stuff that they don't want to know about? Do you think <laughs> that's what ultimately is? Because I remember when I think of threat hunting and threat intelligence, it is quite a nice buzzword in a minute. But when someone says artificial intelligence, you get CTOs and CEOs, people just saying, listen, there's your budget. I want to do something with it. Yeah, they're just throwing money at it. Where threat hunting and threat intelligence are like, oh, I kind of don't want to know about it. So maybe I won't throw money at it. Yeah, is, 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 is this what kind of everyone's feeling at the moment? I could jump in. I've been quite, quite silent for a while. But mm. when it comes, I, I think that some people might don't know what the word threat intelligence actually means. Mm. I think they're not, perhaps not being scared of the word, but they're unsure what it actually means. And to talk analogies again, I mean, if you're if you're into sports, you definitely use threat intelligence. Every goalie in a football game knows if they're up against someone who who should take a penalty against them. They know which corner is their favorite because they study them. And this is what threat intelligence is. It is knowledge and it's about studying what the competitors and the attackers and the rest of the worlds are thinking about you and what they tend to do against you. So that is, I, I would say um, it's a tricky word. I mean, threat intelligence, oh, that's scary, that's weird. Maybe <coughs> they'll go away if I just be quiet. But if we translate it into knowledge and usable knowledge and important knowledge, then it might be more easy to be accessible for the right people that takes decisions. 
because um i mean baseball um every pitcher knows where to throw the ball against a certain batter um and so on so it's it's very common things it's just a tricky word it's definitely part of the true sec mantra to know your analogies <laughs> yeah right you've got to know analogies before you get in there um martin you got your hand up yeah perfect sport analogies um you have to find the right sport for the right person but it's it's i mean it's all about and we talked about that already it's all about finding the right language for the person you are currently talking to and you have to you don't you don't only have to do your threat intelligence you only you also have to do your co-worker intelligence and understand what they understand. So if I come to my colleague from sales and tell them about threat intelligence, then after the word threat, they don't listen anymore. So I think taking knowledge as a word is, might, might work. It's too late to change the podcast name, guys. Um, but <laughs> no, but it's, it's a really interesting point. Yeah. Um, right. Let's, um, we've got, what, 20 minutes left. Uh, we don't have to use it, uh, but we definitely can do. Um, David, uh, just tell us about the point you br brought to the table um, and kind of your thoughts around it. So my first point was that, uh, what's your take on the importance of combining a threat analysis investigation and report with threat intelligence data? So what I'm basically aiming at with that question is that when you're doing a an investigation of some kind or um, troubleshooting something. Um, it could be an alert in your monitoring environment. Uh, how important is it actually to combine it with threat intelligence data based on what you see? So it's it's a two-parter because the next one is how important is attribution to you? So how important is it when you do the investigation that you actually pinpoint and try to pinpoint where the attack is coming from and who is on the other side doing it? So my take on that is that I think it's quite important actually to spend some time there. Um, because if you understand who's on the other side and their mythology of doing the attacks, yeah, yeah, I nailed the hardware. And um, I, I think it's it's easier to prevent this the next attack. I think it's, we're talking about sliding windows and kill chain and all, all those buzzwords. So if you understand the attacker, where they're coming from, and the tools that you're using, you will definitely make it more easier to actually, the following steps that will happen, you know what will happen next, or you think you will know, but and statistically, that's what's going to happen next. Um, so, so I personally think it's super important to actually do attribution when it comes to cyber threat analysis of certain alerts and so on. Martin? Uh, um, yes, I will combine those two questions as well. And um, I also think that it is very important to know your enemy. Um, if something happens, if we are in an incident scenario or if we have an event that might be an incident and we want to know more, then uh, we have to see or we, it is good to know that we have another like vector attack vector that is probable because we know who are, who we are dealing with so i don't know if that makes sense if we can attribute this specific uh, pattern of acts that we see to a specific malicious actor and we can say this malicious actor is using 
this third vector as well, then we might look for that. We might not do that if we don't know that. So in that case, it's very, very important. The thing for me, for us here, is we don't have the manpower to do that. So this would be something where we would actually like probably get help. Um, and that would mean that we don't do that for minor incidents. We, do, we would do that for like the real major stuff where we have law enforcement involved or like uh, or something like that. Then we actually like would do that stuff. Yes. Should I say something? Oh, well, yeah, go jump in, Christopher. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to return to your point before before you mentioned are, are people afraid of threat hunting or threat intelligence as words? Mm. Um, and I believe this there is uh, there's uh, something that I think is hindering us as well is the uh, the the number of attacks per capita is actually quite low. There are not that many attacks occurring. Well, there are two reasons or two explanations that could explain that. One is that a lot of companies are afraid of actually divulging if they have been a victim. We, uh, through our incident response, do get a certain feel for how many are actually turned into a police investigation. Uh, and I think that if people were more transparent, if we somehow managed to get to, to be able to have more transparency about how common is or are attacks, it might actually be easier to talk about doing threat hunts, proactive or uh, reactive threat hunts. Um, but right now we're kind of hindered by that the police are tied, they don't have the the, the, the people and the resources and, and they don't get the uh, the uh, the actual police reports. They, they don't get that much crime reported. We always recommend that companies do report, but we can't force them to. And out of 160 incidents we did last year, maybe a few percentages have actually become a, um, a police report. Um, and this, there are a number of factors involved in this. And I think this could be a reason why people are actually afraid of threat intelligence, threat hunting. It might be a bit far-fetched, but I do believe that it's one contributing factor of why it's not being talked about enough because people don't know about it. They believe, oh, it won't happen to me. It's not so common. But if people actually knew how often it it occurs, people might be more receptible to 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 having these kind of regular checkups. And, and just just kind of um, circle back um, on David's point, how how important is understanding your enemy, um, making sure there's a report. Uh, kind of what are your thoughts around that, Christopher? Well, collectively, as a society, the better knowledge we have about the actors, the, the more difficult it will be for them to get a foothold in, in, in Sweden, Swedish society. And I think the UK have been exemplary in their work with the NCHS, NCHSC, NCSC, sorry, that's the, and I didn't mean national health. No, NHS. Uh, NHS, I didn't mean that one, I meant NCSC. They've been super good with some of their uh, proactive work that they do to collectively protect the UK. And it should be safe to do business in the UK. And I believe it is a country responsibility. It cannot be up to individual companies to protect themselves against nation state actors and so forth. So the more knowledge we have about threat actors, the stronger we can collectively become and make ourselves unattractive to the threat actors. So 
knowledge is definitely something that should be communicated from from the central national level to raise the bar, make us unattractive targets to attack. And there are some basic things we can do. Martin? Yeah, I'm, I'm nodding my head and it might fall off because I do it so hard. Um, I'm, I'm a big, big believer in sharing knowledge and sharing what we learn about, about th threat actors, about malicious uh, acts that are done and how they are done. Um, there is this very, very old uh, mantra in security, in the defense side of security is we always have to be wrong and the enemy just has to be wrong uh, right once. No, we have to be wrong. No, we have to be right all the time. Damn it, it's too late. <laughs> the enemy has to be right just once. And I think, I really believe we we cannot we we cannot win if we don't share our knowledge. Um, so I'm with you here, like big time. Jonas, what's your point on this? Uh, I fully agree. And I mean, if you if you look at the amount of suppliers, uh, source companies, and so that organization has today, um, and just by having those that sort of network around you with, with multiple suppliers. Uh, it doesn't matter how good security I have for my environment if my suppliers don't uh, live up to it. And if I have knowledge that uh, will help me protect my environment, then I, of course, need to share that with my suppliers and partners because uh, if they don't know it, then, then I'm at the same risk as them in, in, in one way or another. So uh, I definitely believe that we need to share it. It's, it's super important and it's not done enough today unfortunately david yeah i was thinking about that the attacker only needs to do it right once and we have to do it right every time because otherwise they win um it's uh, there is actually a new saying uh and i'm kind of ego to say that i came up with it but it's <laughs> because we need to protect the companies uh we need to protect our customers and so on and this is where threat hunting comes in, so we're not fooling the listeners that we we, we should actually talk a little bit about threat hunting as well. So what we do when we're protecting our customers is that we employ different techniques to just monitor them. Um, and the more techniques we put in place, they we can't still we still we can't guarantee that they will not be hacked. And that's why we say that we will mitigate the attack when it happens because we can't protect anyone at hundred percent. Um, so what we do is that we employ more and more techniques um, to protect the customer, which forces the attacker to become a louder person or a, a louder attacker, basically. So we force them to make some noise and the table has turned because they will only have to screw up once and we will nail them and we will find them. So we are actually turning the table here. Uh, they don't just need to do a successful attack once in a system. They will actually need to be so careful that they, if they screw up once, they will actually be caught and we will toss them out. And we have so many, so many uh, stories about this when it has happened, when the attacker has been forced to make some noise and we will actually, we actually caught them. I think we've got our very own Liam Neeson on the podcast here. <laughs> yeah, he's just taking it to him. I love it. I feel like I was like watching Taken 2 or something there. It's uh, just turning it round on the enemy. Love it, David. Uh, Martin, your point. Yeah, I have to. I have. To, I think that's the first time I disagree with David today. Um, because I think that's exactly what it means when we say we have to be right every time. Because monitoring is nothing different than like anticipating what the other will do. 
um, when we monitor a system in a specific way, like we monitor what's happening on that system, we pretend to know that the attacker will go onto that system and will do it in the way that we monitor. And that's what I think, I mean, it's not wrong what you say, but I think it's this like, it doesn't change the underlying principle of we have to guess what the attacker will do. We have to, I mean, we can, we can monitor everything, but then we are drowning in noise. So we have to balance that. And I think that balance is exactly what makes the professional like security officer necessary in a company um, or like help from outside as well. Um, but it doesn't make the, the original saying wrong. I'll give you a chance to respond, David. <laughs> Thanks. No, the, the initial saying is right, but I'm saying that the table is turning as well. Um, because the, the more and more techniques that we actually put in place, um, it, it it is making it harder. Uh, we have stories about that because it is we are making it harder for the attackers. And we know that because ransomware gangs today um, are actually advertising, ad advertising for um, insiders. They are willing to pay insiders to deploy a ransomware. And why are they willing to do that? Well, because companies are better at patching today. They know it takes just two, three days for a, a, a crime gang to actually develop an exploit. So they need to be on the, the company needs to be on their feet and patched right away. Um, so it is, I, I think this is proof that it's harder and harder to actually attack a company today. That's why they are advertising for insiders. Um, we had a recent thing in Brazil with the health department where a, a group claims to have paid an insider. Uh, it's not been proven yet. And earlier this fall uh, last year, um, the uh, quite large consultancy group Accenture was hit with the ransomware. And again, the the ransomware group claims to have paid some paid an insider to actually do the attack. While we can't prove it, it still shows that this is a modal change in a way, how the attack is going to be, uh, be shifting in the future. So this basically proves that we have actually put more strategic things and technical things in place to actually finding the attacks. So it is harder for the attacker today to actually make it right just one time. They always, they still just need to do it right one time, but it makes it harder for them to do it right one time. And it makes it easier for us to detect them when we force them to become louder in the systems. So that was yeah. my, my point. And uh, I think it's awesome that Martin disagrees because that actually brings out a really great discussion. This is not mm -hmm. a competition of who's right, and I, I can't force him to be right, as, as saying with me and my friends. Um, but I, I actually love it when people don't agree, because that brings out the discussion, and that will actually move us further into the... Well, we will evolve as humans and as companies and as as persons. So I actually encourage encourage discussion. So I love when people disagree, because then I might learn something, and I, I'm here to learn. Perfect, perfect. Um, okay, so um, final point. We have just touched on it there, but let's see if we can get anything out of it. Um, Christopher um, the, uh, wanted to discuss kind of, are you willing to share your own collected uh, threat intelligence data with others? And are you prepared to buy uh, threat intelligence data as a service from someone else? So kind of, Christopher, what's your points on this? Kind of put yourself in the shoes. Um, would you do it? Would you share it? Do people do it? Oh, this, this. I mean, it is a, it is not a, 
a binary question whether everything should be shared or nothing should be shared. As with most things, it's rarely a black and white. Um, after all, it, we're, I mean, we're a competitive company. We're in it for profits. We want to make we want to make money, even though we have a certain vision of what we envision the company to to represent. But I do believe that there's there are ways to to find a, a middle ground where we can share for the greater good. There have been examples when we, for example, investigated uh, like a, a, a broad societal uh, impacted uh, attack that impacted society uh, when Microsoft Exchange service were attacked. We actually contacted companies that we found out to be affected. We shared indicators. We shared a lot of data of what was going on. And that was for the greater good. We just couldn't handle it all. Uh, there was just too much to do. It was beneficial for everyone. At the same time, maybe one could find a way where we have a premium subscription where you pay to have access to the data immediately. And then there's the public feed that you get after it's delayed by three days or four, whatever amount of days. We still share the data, but we give a premium to those that actually value having access to the data. But it's 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 a complicated question, and I I, I actually don't think that it's it has a straightforward answer. Obviously, everything should be shared in a utilitarian society where we're just you know singing kumbaya and we're all friends and and sharing. Uh, unfortunately, that's not how society is set up, um, and I, I don't believe I can change it with my sharing of threat intelligence. But I do believe that sharing some is is a good thing, and I I think I've somewhat ex <laughs> yeah. in my case. <laughs> no, no, I, I completely get it. Uh, Martin, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I'm singing Kumbaya. Uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 serious. I think I think we should just like. We as a company, I, I'm pretty sure we are willing to buy threat intelligence uh, feeds. Um, why I'm sure we are doing it right now. Um, it's part of our uh, of our security setup. Uh, we will increase that as well. Um, but I'm also completely in the corner of sharing that stuff. I mean, if we have something going on at our at, at our site that nobody has seen before and we discover something new, then I'm very, very happy to give it out to everybody because I'm like, I'm Team Blue. I want Team Blue to win. And uh, yeah, I'm doing everything to like make Team Red really, really suffer. So I'm, I'm also like just giving it away if, if I would have something that nobody else would have. Love it. Um, I'm going to bring other people in. Jonas, what's your thoughts? Would you be willing to share your own collected TI data and are you prepared to buy it as a service from someone else? Uh, I'm somewhere between Martin and Christopher. I, I think uh, sharing too much means also sharing with your enemies, which is probably not that good if you sort of would lower your guard basically. But uh, in the same sense, if, if you if everyone starts to share the information, you're you're making life uh, pretty difficult for for the red team, as Martin mentioned. So um, I think there's a balance there, and I think if you start cooperating, perhaps within your closest ecosystem, and start finding ways to to, to cooperate there, and then expanding it, uh, it's probably a, a good way. Uh, I do believe that today there's not enough sharing, so any step in that direction would be would be a good way to to move forward, definitely. And uh, buying the data. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, if if someone would be able to sort of summarize uh, information that would be beneficial for for my organization, I would definitely be interested in uh, in buying that. Yeah. Okay, and then finally, David, what's your thoughts on this? Would you be willing to do it? Yes, I think. I mean, for the greater good, as Christopher brought up, um, we will help. I think we were helping about forty or fifty companies with the exchange thing that happened in March something last year. Um, we gave away everything. Um, we we put up all the IOCs that we found in our blog on our website. Um, and as Christopher said, it was just too much for us to to handle everything as separately incidents. So we just took it in and published everything that we found, um, developed scripts that could find certain uh, of the backdoors and the web shells, um, and we put it on GitHub so everyone could just download it and run it themselves. Um, because, I mean, we we have competitors, but there are just so many things going on in the world that we can't be alone in this and we can't help everyone. Truser can't just help everyone. Um, so we we need the... Uh, I say I call them colleagues, uh, colleagues in the business and the colleagues in the fields, even though they're working for companies that would gladly just take customers from us. But I, I mean, there are just so many customers and so many companies to help. So we can we can practically just share the field. And if we can share the data to make the world a better place, and if we're going that route, I mean, it sounds like it's this one of those Liam Neeson fire talks. I don't know. <laughs> I think you've gone from <laughs> Liam Neeson to the... Martin Luther King here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I mean, that's that's what's running in, uh, in our veins. We, we just want to make the world a better place and a safe place for everyone to be in. Um, the companies should be able to do their businesses without being attacked. Um, and if it was a perfect world, we wouldn't be needed. Then we would find something else to do. So yeah, my take is that we should share uh, the data that we find. Um, if we're willing to buy data, yes, of course, we're willing to buy data and we're willing to sell data if we just make sure that it fits the company that wants to buy it. Um, sharing data would would it make it easier for the attacker um, if we share data that we found them. Yeah, they will just switch IPs, uh, switch servers, switch providers, and we will post that as well because we will see the next move from them and we will just publish that again. Uh, and again, so it's a cat and mouse game, and we will shorten that time span from when we find them to when everyone everyone else knows where to find them or where they're coming from. So yeah, for as I say, for the greater good, this is the way. <laughs> Thank you, David, for that. Um, and just one final question from me um, is that we will get a lot of people uh, who are hopefully still listening. Um, mainly in Sweden, but we get a lot of followers in Germany and the UK as well in the tech scene yeah who will want to explore this area a bit more has everyone got like one podcast or one book or one slack group or one community that they could share now that people could maybe follow up on yeah if they want to look into this in more detail so i'm going to come around david you first um from the top of my head there's a book by nicole perlroth uh she's a writer for i think it's in new york times i'm not sure I, you Please correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. she wrote a book that's called This is How They Tell Me That the World Ends. And it's an amazing insight into cyber threat intelligence and cyber threat actors and buying and selling exploits and uh, what's going on um, beneath the surface in the dark web scenes and so on. It's an, it's an amazing, interesting book. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. Um, Eunice? 
trying to come up with a tip here. I have a book in mind, but I can't remember the author. I think it's called Security Engineering. I think I have to leave it at that. And it kind of, it, it's a bit broader scope, but it starts with a really good walkthrough of, of various threat actors and, and how they operate. Uh, but uh, I can't give more details than that, unfortunately. Don't worry. If you think of it later, maybe when I post it on LinkedIn or post it on Spotify, we can try and add it somewhere there. Uh, Christopher, any communities, any books, any podcasts that you can think of? Ah, uh, oh my God, <laughs> this is um, th there's the three books I totally agree with. Uh, Jonas, security engineering. Ross Anderson uh, is the oh, author. Uh, then I I think there are two other books that I definitely recommend, and it's Intelligence Driven Incident Response. That is an absolutely awesome book, um, and it, it, it explains why they're both beneficial, how they feed each other. And there's another one called Practical uh, Intelligence and Data-Driven Threat Hunting. There are two books that I, uh, or three actually, that I really, really recommend. Um, and, but my favorite of those is definitely uh, Intelligence-Driven in, um, uh, Incident Response. That's an excellent book, very well written. They actually know what they're talking about. A lot of books you can tell they want to work with this, but they don't. <laughs> These people actually work with this and you can tell. Martin? I love that list of books. I just wrote every single one down and I reread them. No, uh, I don't I don't have a book and I don't have a very specialized podcast on the topic, but um, if you want some more like insights into how the bad guys are doing i always recommend malicious life it's such a such such a good podcast i love it i yeah i listened to i think I, I discovered it when they made episode 80 or something and i listened to all the first 80 episodes in one go like without without pause <laughs> love it darknet diaries i forgot the podcast <laughs> yeah. darknet diaries is is an obvious choice as well says like i agree <laughs> It's like something from Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something like that. Um, okay, perfect. Um, everyone, uh, you're an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for contributing.